Today's guest, Tim Wenzel, provides the following narrative about his new book, Historic Buildings and Landmarks of Dodge City. Dodge City is a town with an exclusive heritage. The community knows its legacy is a valuable asset to be guarded and shared. Each generation understands that with Dodge City's historic legacy comes the responsibility of stewardship. In 1976, the city of Dodge City approved an ordinance establishing the Landmark Preservation Committee to identify and protect the city's cultural heritage by designated certain buildings and structures as historic landmarks. Originally, there were eight designated landmarks. That list has only grown. Other buildings and sites are now included on the Register of Historic Kansas Places and the National Register of Historic Places. When Dodge City's downtown area was listed as a historic district on the National Register of Historic Places in 2009, it was recognized as a distinct district with a visible sense of time and place. The historic district includes 12 blocks of historic buildings constructed in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In 2022, during the community's sesquicentennial, the city of Dodge City broke ground to revitalize the historic downtown area with a multi-million dollar streetscape project. The investment was designed to bring new life into the downtown district to attract and accommodate new visitors and businesses. The two-year project called for creation of a central plaza, new landscaping, street lamps, and other public art, along with infrastructure upgrades, parking, street design, and walking paths. Dodge City continues to experience a cultural renaissance. There is a spirit here that one can feel. You will walk the streets and find Western art in sculptures and murals. Art in public places is now a hallmark of the community. Is it any wonder that Dodge City was named Best Summer Vacation Destination in Kansas in 2023? Today we have a special guest, noted for his contributions to the Dodge City community, Tim Wenzel. Tim is a Kansas City, Missouri native who moved to Dodge City in 1977 after landing his first real job upon graduating from the University of Missouri-Columbia. As a Dodge City Daily Globe reporter, he became fascinated with the history surrounding him. He published his first book, Discovering Dodge City's Landmarks, in 1980. He worked for St. Mary of the Plains College as Director of Public Relations and for the Catholic Diocese of Dodge City as an editor of the Southwest Kansas Register, and then as a diocesan archivist. He was named Archivist Emeritus upon his retirement in 2017. He enjoys the discovery of research and preserving history before it is lost to time. Tim has authored 23 books. Tim, first and foremost, Mike and I would like to say how delighted we are to have you on our show. Over the past six years, Mike and I have assembled various aspects of Dodge City's history in our podcast. Today, we want to bring to the show some historical elements of Dodge City through some of its historical buildings. Tim, can you provide our listeners with some insights into why a book about Dodge City's buildings is essential to its history, and why a book on the topic becomes vital to future generations? Also, can you tell our readers how such a book is organized? Thank you, Brad. The book is really identifies certain buildings with historic relevance to the community. These these are important buildings, and as uh, we will talk about, they have a distinct place 
in the history of Dodge City. The, uh, the book itself is it's organized so that a person can, can take a, an armchair tour through Dodge City's streets. It starts at Boot Hill. Boot Hill leads off the book, and it just expands there. So someone could actually use the book as a guide through sauntering through the town of Dodge City or take an armchair guide at home. Tim, your book contains over 100 historic buildings and landmarks, and covering all of them in one podcast would be challenging. Today, we've selected just a few landmarks and buildings that might give our listeners some of their significance. The first building on today's list is the Hardesty House, located on the grounds of Boot Hill Museum. The Hardesty House, a Victorian Gothic revival villa with bay windows and gingerbread verge boards, was constructed in 1878 by A.B. Webster of Dodge City. Can you provide a short synopsis of the Hardesty House and how it became a city landmark in 1977? Yes, the uh, the Hardesty House is uh, one of the real treasures in Dodge City. It's, uh, it, uh, it's a 19th century residence, but it it's much more than than a house. It has a presence in that the lines of the structure are against the horizon. They they are really remarkable. You, you mentioned the, uh, the bay windows. The bay windows. You know, we think we have bay windows in, in in homes today, but these bay windows extended from the house so that they were. They were small rooms. You could place chairs in these window areas and as like like little sunrooms, actually. And the uh, one uh, significant feature of one of the bay windows is a two-story bay window. So there's a bay window on the first floor and then again on the second floor. And that's, that's just remarkable. It's, it's, a, it's an, a very interesting feature. We say the Hardesty House. Well, there's always a name. There's always a story behind the name. Colonel Hardesty was a cattle baron and uh, had uh, a very large uh, cattle herd. Uh, I I should say herds. He had cattle herds in four states, in Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and, and Kansas. And actually, Hardesty, Oklahoma is named for him. The fact that he he lived in Dodge was was sort of interesting. He had all the he had his business throughout the Southwest, but uh, he chose Dodge City as his home. And this particular house, it was a place. It was a it was an early uh, show place in Dodge City, and uh, his um, his home. He always had a Christmas ball in his home, and it was considered the social event of the year. Uh, Tim, I love how you you mentioned that the Hardesty House itself has a, a presence of its own. I can certainly speak to that, uh, having done some uh, fairly significant work in the house uh, when I was uh, working for Boot Hill Museum. Just being in that home, it's the the history of Dodge City really comes alive. It's just it's palpable. It's part of the atmosphere. You're literally breathing it in. Uh, just sort of being a part of the family and the legacy. That that made Dodge City what it was and is. Uh, another 
uh, I think interesting feature about the home itself, and and you feel free to add to this, is Colonel Hardesty himself was he not the brother-in-law of Fred Harvey, of the the legendary chain of Harvey House Restaurant and Hotels. Yes, Brad. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That's that's a that's a really interesting story. Fred Harvey, he had the Harvey houses, and uh, he was actually he uh, in the de- in the depots throughout the the entire chain of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. You know where they had division points. They they had they had significant depots, and. Fred Harvey had hotels in these depots, and he had he had the food service on the rail cars. Now, Fred Harvey had a in in 1879 in Lakin, Kansas. Fred Harvey had a Fourth of July picnic out on Shoto's Island in the middle of the Arkansas River. And he invited guests in the entire town of Lakin. And they all went out to the island and had this picnic. And then afterward, they went back to the hotel in Lakin, and they had a a gala dance. Well, during the dance, uh, Colonel Hardesty meets his future wife, Maggie, who was the sister of Fred Harvey's wife. So Fred Harvey and Colonel Hardesty are brother-in-laws. Could you tell us then maybe just uh, maybe briefly how the house itself came to be located on the grounds of Boot Hill Museum? Right. It was actually, the residence was located a couple of blocks west of the present Boot Hill Museum. Just off of what is now Hardesty Street, am I right? Right. Exactly. And... um, it was like in the 800 block, I believe. And, and the Scully, this was back in 1969. And that's an early period for this part of the country to think about historic preservation. But somebody had the foresight to say, this is a home that needs to be saved. So the Scully Oil Company bought the lots and they moved the home and, and gave it to the Boot Hill Museum. Thanks, Tim. That's, that's great. Again, uh, visit Dodge City. Don't leave without visiting the Hardesty House. It's a, it's a very much a treasure. Another building located in the downtown area at 701 2nd Avenue, which received much attraction, is the Carnegie Library, constructed between 1906 and 1907. Can you tell us about the unique architecture of the Carnegie Library and who was responsible for its funding, why the building played a central role in Dodge City's history, and what the building is currently used for? Uh, yes, Brad, the Carnegie Center is perhaps my favorite building in, in all of Dodge City. I've, I uh, was president of the Arts Council at, at, the, at a time when uh, it being renovated, I, I stripped a lot of stripped a lot of uh, woodwork in that building when it was when it was being renovated it actually the Carnegie it was actually a Carnegie library which which uh, Andrew Carnegie was made his money in in steel and when the country was growing and 
in in the east in in New York and Chicago, those buildings all have steel girders in them, and he made a, a lot of money. But he was a philanthropist, and he wanted to give back to the communities, and so he actually sponsored libraries throughout the country. And and Dodge City's Carnegie Library is one of uh, more than sixteen hundred public libraries that he he built throughout the country. It's just remarkable. Uh, the library here was constructed uh, between nineteen oh six and nineteen oh seven. It has a very unique architecture. I, I just have to paint a picture for you. The building has a corner entrance, which which uh, means the uh, it it sort of commands the intersection of of Second and Spruce, and uh, it's a round a round building. They in architecture they call round buildings a drum, so there's it's actually a two story drum, and it's. And it has a dome. And this is one of the few domed Carnegie Library buildings that were that was constructed in the country. So its its architecture is is very unique. The style is actually called Beau Arts. Now that's a fran- fancy French term for architecture with decorative detail. The uh, the pediments the the arched the arches above the walls have bas relief sculptures in them, and the windows throughout the structure are leaded stained glass. It is it's just a remarkable building. So when you go in, there's gallery spaces. The second floor is a the the whole room is a round gallery and above it is the dome and you can see the the windows uh, the stained glass windows the sunshine comes through the top into the stained glass and it's just a remarkable sight i i agree with you tim that that building is really unlike anything else in dodge city it it definitely commands that intersection uh, it stands out in just a, a beautiful beautiful way so, Tim, uh, following its use as the, the city library, can you tell us uh, what else has been in the building, what it's currently being used for over the, the remaining years? Right. The library outgrew the facility, uh, and the library relocated in, in, like, 1970. And after that, for 10 years, it, it had a variety of, of uses. It was, it was restaurants, cafes, and and even nightclubs, and they had some pretty, uh, pretty uh, interesting names. One, since it's a red brick building, the first the first restaurant there was called it was called the the Red Palace, and then it was known as Casey Jones Junction, and then it was the Cream Cup, and then <laughs> one of the nightclubs was actually uh, called the Library. And then Opera House Twenty One, but uh, so it it had a quite an interesting uh, oh couple of lives 
before it became an arts center uh, for the Dodge City Area Arts Council. But one one very interesting thing about that uh, is that after after it was taken over by the Arts Council, it went through the renovation and the renovation was extensive and it was it was costly and there were grants and and public you know per, private money went into it but it it got the attention of an of an author by the name of uh, Barbara Lee Diamondstein and she wrote a book called Remaking America and our Carnegie Library building is featured in her book as an example of of how old buildings can be put into new uses. One building that many people, even in Dodge City, may need to be made aware of its history is the Variety Store, located at 501 2nd Avenue. It is one of the older remaining buildings in downtown Dodge City, which has its founding after multiple fires destroyed the frame business structures along Front Street. Can you tell us more about these fires, Tim, which destroyed most of the early buildings of Dodge City, and why the Variety Store has its place among some of the famous structures in the downtown area? Yes, uh, those, uh, well, the uh, the Front Street structures were all frame, uh, and they were built in the 1870s, and I guess it's it may be surprising that some of them survived as long as they did. But in 1885 and 1886, there were several significant fires in the downtown area. And these frame structures, when they had a fire, the entire block burned because each of the structures shared a wall. There was no space between the buildings. They, They shared a wall, and so when... When these uh, fires started, they just they just kept going, and they 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 would take a whole block. And there were some significant fires in both January and December of 1985 that destroyed blocks of buildings, and then again in August and December of 1886. And uh, <laughs> I was reading some uh, news clippings of uh some of the the i guess the last fire in in December of 1886 and and the uh reporter or, or editor said that it, it actually was a blessing because i guess the the proprietors is if they didn't need to rebuild they didn't so i guess the 1886 build fire was uh was significant in in that the the frame structures the the last remaining frame structures actually uh, were consumed in that fire. What's interesting uh, about the variety store is it uh, was one of the structures that was made of brick by in eighteen eighty seven. So it's actually. There were lots of brick structures constructed, but um, this particular one, uh, the variety store, is one of the last remaining of that particular era. And it's appropriately named variety store because of the many different businesses that have been in it 
for more than 100 years. The structure itself is a two-story red brick structure with very large, very tall second-story windows. Now, the first floor was where the businesses were located. It's so it's divided up into businesses with, uh, you know, big, there's big windows for the businesses. But the upstairs of these structures, they were used for, at times, they were used as the residence of the proprietors below and sometimes for fraternal organizations uh, where they had uh, their meetings. Now, next up, we have the Ford County Government Center at the northwest corner of Central Avenue and Gunsmoke Street, which occupies the former Lorelock Hotel. The Lorelock Hotel was constructed in 1928 as a 115-room luxury hostelry with a ballroom and restaurant. The five-story red brick structure, trimmed in Indiana limestone, was built by the Citizens Hotel Company. Tim, I'd like to know more about the Lorelock, its design, when and why it was closed, and how it came to be used as a government building. Well, the the Lorelock Hotel was uh, uh, interesting in that uh, it, it was right across the uh, street from the Santa Fe Depot. So it was within walking distance. And uh, this the structure was actually designed in two cubes with a, a space in between so that for air air t- so that there would be windows in all of the rooms and this was obviously this was before air conditioning so these the design was functional the uh, the obviously windows would be would be necessary in all of the rooms but that's that's that was a design function uh, of the the building that was constructed, uh, and so of the 115 rooms, they uh, it, they all had they all had windows, and the uh, the the, uh, the actual uh, design of the uh, the two cubes was significant uh, in that it created airflow. The uh, the building was a hotel for up until 19, oh, 1988. And uh, then the, uh, the county, uh, Ford County, actually bought the building. They needed more space. The, all of their uh, departments were located in the Ford County courthouse. And um, so they bought the, the Lower Lock Hotel and renovated the space throughout the five the five stories into office spaces for the different departments, which left um, the uh, courthouse to be totally a district courthouse. Only the court uh, courtrooms are off, are uh, located there. Well, Tim, I think we'd be remiss in talking about the Lorelock Hotel if we didn't mention that uh, that is where all of the the Hollywood stars stayed uh, when they came in by train through the Santa Fe Depot in 1939 uh, for the uh, world premiere of the movie Dodge City. Uh, the Basically, the entire Warner Brothers 
studio system was here in Dodge City as were several just tens of thousands of people out here to meet the all the Hollywood stars and dignitaries and of course to watch the uh, the big Errol Flynn movie. Uh, it's fun for me to go in there now. Of course, the, the lobby in the mezzanine is, as you said, restored, just absolutely gorgeous, beautiful building in there. Uh, we'd actually talked about seeing if we, uh, uh, when my wife and I got married, we considered that as a, a venue actually to to hold our, our wedding. It's just absolutely beautiful in there. Uh, and today, of course, is the county building. I go up there and, and pay my taxes and car registration and such. Uh, literally right across the hall from my great grandmother's office when she was the uh, head of housekeeping there uh, in the, the 30s and 40s. So uh, that, that's kind of fun for me as well. Uh, and visitors to Dodge City absolutely make a stop in there and just go check it out. Of course, during government business hours. Another landmark that many visitors of Dodge City or its citizens may need to learn the existence or story behind is the Chalk Beeson Theater. The Chalk Beeson Theater, built in 1915, is at 119 Gunsmoke Street. The name Beeson has been synonymous with entertainment from the early days of Dodge City. Chalk Beeson became the proprietor of Dodge City's Long Branch Saloon in 1876. He organized the nationally known Dodge City Cowboy Band shortly after that. Tim, I'm very interested in knowing more about this building, how it has survived over time, who built it, and what role it played in Dodge City history. Well, Brad, the uh, the Beeson Theater uh, sits on a corner uh, of uh, Gunsmoke and First Street, and uh, today it's, it's just... Uh, a business structure, uh, but at one time it was it was a, a place where uh, theatrical troops and vaudeville acts came uh, to perform in Dodge City on a stop between Kansas City and Denver. So it was a it was a a playhouse where where people went for for entertainment, and as uh, as technology developed and then. Movie, movie theater, movies were uh, uh, all the rage. There were, there were the theater actually was uh, renovated to become a place where people went and saw talkies, and then, uh, uh, well, first silent films and then talkies. So uh, it was, uh, it was a you know one of Dodge City's. Uh, one of Dodge City's movie houses for a while, but uh, it was it was a, a short while really because in 1935, uh, I guess theaters were popping up in the downtown area. There was actually it was actually uh, in the same block as the Dodge Theater that you just mentioned, and uh, across the street was the Cozy Theater. So they had uh, they they uh, the Beeson brothers, uh, Merritt and Adi, who had constructed the uh, the theater as a memorial to their father, they renovated the building into office space. But uh, there was uh, one thing about the entertainment that the the boys still enjoyed, and that was they renovated the upstairs 
as a as a dance hall, and it was called the Ritz. And during the uh, the war years, nineteen forty three to forty five, uh, in Dodge City, um, there was or west of Dodge City, where there was the Dodge City Air Base, and the Ritz Club became the U.S. the uh, USO Club during those years. So it attracted a lot of the uh, the pilots came in to, to dance with, uh, with Dodge City ladies. Another landmark we absolutely have to mention is in Wright Park, called the Hoover Pavilion, a public meeting hall named after Dodge City's first elected mayor, George M. Hoover. Hoover was noted as one of the founders of Dodge City and contributed much to the community. At the time of his death, July 14, 1914, Hoover left $100,000 of an estate valued at $250,000 for the upkeep and beautification of Dodge City property. Can you provide detailed information about the pavilion, when it was constructed, how much money was earmarked by the project, and why it is worth the visit? Well, Brad, the uh, the Hoover Pavilion is a the pavilion is actually a a style of of uh, of building it it means open air and uh, there there are arches on all four sides of the Hoover Pavilion and those at one time were open for for air ventilation um, it um, but but that over time when when they would want to use the building in the winter they couldn't heat it. And uh, then the you know just elements you know rain and, and so at, at in the in the 19, uh, 1952 the building was actually transformed and the archways were redesigned as windows and doors and today it's it's a it's a venue for uh, wedding wedding receptions uh, it's used during the summer um, for the uh, oh. It's it's used for the uh, international festival, um, and uh, people can always rent the place out for picnics and and family reunions. So it 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 gets uh, it gets a lot of use. And to think it was it was constructed in 1915, um, that uh, that's remarkable, and that that building is is still solid and. And gets and gets a lot of use. The um, the the style of the building it's got a it's got a uh, red clay roof, and uh, the the walls are dressed in stucco, and uh, so it fits in well with the uh, with the community. Uh, Hoover Hoover himself was uh, one of the founders of Dodge City. He actually had something to do with why Dodge City is located. Where it is today, um, Hoover Hoover uh, was uh, out at Fort Dodge, and he was uh, he sold he sold liquor in the sutler store, and uh, I guess um, the commandant out at the at the fort uh, at some point uh, decided that he did not want liquor available on on the reserva- on the military reservation. And the military reservation extended five miles five miles west of the fort. 
So uh, Hoover uh, gathered up his whiskey barrels and uh, and put them in a wagon, and he uh, he uh, he measured off. He he actually tied a bandana to a wagon wheel, and he measured off the distance of five miles. And once he got five miles away from the fort, uh, he dropped the he dropped the tailgate of the wagon, and and that's uh, where he set up uh, the first. Uh, that's where he set up the first business in Dodge City, or what would be Dodge City. Uh, great, uh, a great hero, or should be a great hero to entrepreneurs everywhere. Uh, Hoover, of course, died one of the the richest men in the state of Kansas, actually, at the time. Uh, and his his theory was he had made his money in Dodge City, and by God, it was going to stay in Dodge City. So, uh, and visitors today through Dodge, they can very much still, uh, just in, in walking the streets and certainly a visit to the Hoover Pavilion, uh, they can see what that money has really done for the community. Right. And that and that Hoover Fund is still in existence today. The uh, it still helps in beautification of the, of the parks in 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 throughout the community. Over 115 years after he's he's dead, his money is still doing this town good. That's that's pretty awesome. The last building we want to mention in this podcast is the home of Stone, known as the Mueller Schmidt House, located at 112 East Vine Street. The house was constructed between 1879 and 1881 and is one of the oldest homes in Dodge City. I would also like to mention that a Bat Masterson statue is adjacent to the house, which is the only statue of its kind in existence today. We hope to be able to provide more information about the statue when we do part two of this series covering the topic Dodge City's historical landmarks. Tim, the home of stone is a fascinating structure with multiple stories that provide the visitor with the integration of contributing members to the economic founding history of Dodge City. Can you give us a detailed description of the home of Stone, including when it was built and the occupation of the home's first owner? Why would the home be an important stop for anyone visiting Dodge City? Well, Brad, the the home of Stone uh, is made of solid limestone that was quarried on the Sawlog Creek, about 12 miles northeast of Dodge City. What's What's interesting is, you know, outside the home, uh, you 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 see, uh, you know, this beautiful yellow yellow limestone structure, and you get inside, and and it's somewhat smaller than you you anticipated. And the reason for that is those walls are two feet thick. They were it was quarried that way for insulation, and and it's it's durable. That that there you just look at that uh, structure and you walk all the way around it. There are no cracks in in that structure at all. It's just a beautiful home. It's a uh, it's got a, a two story. Uh, balcony above the entryway that was that was actually uh, a balcony outside one of the bedrooms on the second floor the home is uh, owned by the Ford County Historical Society 
and uh, they have tours in the summer. It's full of Victorian furniture. This the home of Stone is also known, um, you know, by the by two prominent owners, uh, the the Mueller family and the Schmidt family. The first family, uh, first owner was uh, John Mueller. He was a bootmaker and a cattle rancher uh, in Dodge City. And uh, boy, he had some bad luck in Dodge. Uh, the uh, The same year, eighteen eighty six, there was a blizzard that came came through Southwest Kansas, and it destroyed his cattle herd. And uh, then his business on Front Street was was his boot shop was destroyed by fire. So after after that devastating year, he. He packed up and moved to St. Louis. The next family that uh, that occupied the home was was Adam Schmidt. He uh, he was a blacksmith and uh, he he purchased the home in 18, 1890, I believe. And and uh, there were members of the Schmidt family in that home until nineteen sixty. One of the uh, one of the Schmidts, his name was Heine Heine Schmidt. He was a postmaster for Dodge City, but most people knew him as as Dodge City's historian. He uh, he knew a lot. He'd lived he'd lived through a lot of Dodge City history, and he ended up writing a uh, a history column in the High Plains Journal for a number of years, and then in uh, 1952 he uh, published a book of his uh, articles in the the book is entitled Ashes of My Campfire. That's what probably one of the early Dodge City books that uh, if you're if you're into Dodge City history you want to you want to get a, try to get a copy of that. You, it's it's out of been out of print for years so you're going to you're going to have to search high high and low for that for a copy of that one. But uh the uh the Home of Stone is a magnificent structure. It's uh, it was probably one of the first structures in in Dodge City named to the National Register of Historic Places. Well, Tim, I feel like we could talk for eight days just about the the wonderful historical buildings and locations and sites and just the the area of Dodge City that is so valuable to not only our local historic and, and cultural heritage, but uh, wonderful sites to visit for the the tourists and the, the guests, the visitors from all across the world as they come through Dodge City to really understand what we here as Dodge City is all about. Tim, before we close today, I want to let our audience know how they could purchase your most recent book, Historic Buildings and Landmarks of Dodge City. Additionally, is there anyone you would like to thank for helping you produce this book and why those interested in Dodge City history should own a copy? Sure, Brad. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank some people. I had a wonderful photographer. His name is Gentry Heimerman, and he il- he illustrated the book, you know, with color photos, and, and he's even got some drone shots in the, in the book, which was which was fun for him, and it's fun to see aerial shots uh, uh, of certain places. But he did a wonderful job. And then Cindy Verthaler with the Spearville News. Uh, th- throughout, I'd say, 40 years, 
She has uh, actually done done all of my page design for my books, and uh, she did a wonderful job of, you know, I I do the research and I write the I write the words, but uh, but the pictures and the design, the photos, they they bring things to life, and uh, so that's that's why I want to thank them because they're they're really part of a team. Another part of the team would be. Uh, two foundations that actually uh, provided grants for this project and those would are, those would be uh, the Southwest Kansas uh, uh, the Community Foundation of Southwest Kansas and the Mariah Fund I really uh, appreciate their support the book is available at the Boot Hill Museum the Carnegie Center you'll not only want to go in and purchase a book but you'll want to take a tour of that building and uh, let's see, uh, it's out at the, uh, the Cathedral Gift Shop and the Home of Stone. Those, you can find that book in uh, four retail uh, places in Dodge, and it's also available on Amazon. Thank you, Tim. That's it for now. If you'd like to purchase any of Tim's books, you can check out the links on the description page of this podcast. Remember to check out our Wild West Podcast shows on iTunes or wildwestpodcast.buzzsprout.com. You can also catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wildwestpodcast or on our YouTube channel at Wild West Podcast, Mike King, YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to our shows listed at the end of the description text of this podcast to receive notification on all new episodes. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or would want to add to our series, please write us at wildwestpodcast@gmail.com. We will share your thoughts as they apply to future episodes. Stay tuned next time as we return to the Trails to the Washita Part 5, The March of the Kansas 19th. Mm-hmm.